Hebrews chapter 1, verses 4 through uh, 14, through the end of the chapter. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 4 through 14. I'm actually going to begin reading uh, in verse 3, because uh, as you can see, verse 4 sort of starts in the middle of a sentence. So uh, I'll start at the beginning of the sentence. Hebrews 1. Uh, starting in verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact, exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on the high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For which to the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? This is the word of God. I'd like to begin this morning with a question. What do you think of when you think of angels? I can tell you people have a wide array of views on angels. Culturally, it seems that a belief in angels is fairly normal. Uh, Even folks who may reject the idea of the God of the Bible are keen to believe in angels. Perhaps that's their way of recognizing that there must be something beyond the physical world, something that we can't see with our own fleshly eyes. I asked a friend of mine, Uh, in preparation for this sermon, who is not yet a Christian. uh, And I say not yet because I believe that uh, he will be a Christian soon, uh, Lord willing. But uh, I asked him what him and his wife think of angels. Uh, Now, as I said, they, uh, they would now say they do believe in God. They have been seriously considering the claims of Christianity over the last year or two. They have been reading the Bible They've been attending some local churches back in Pennsylvania. Uh, they are very much taking serious the claims that Christ is the eternal Son of God. And so I had to say, you know, before you began considering Christianity, what did you believe about angels? And they recognized that uh, even before they, they believed in God, they believed in angels. Uh, they believed in demons. They thought that when people died, they became angels and uh, were even thinking that perhaps when people died, they became guardian angels. Uh, They also told me now that they realized that it was um, not logical 
to believe in angels and not uh, believe in God. They said that just made no sense. But many people do that. Many people believe in angels that don't believe in the God of the Bible. Many people today claim to be spiritual but not religious. In other words, they believe in a spiritual realm but not the God of the Bible. They wouldn't see themselves adhering to any one religion, but because they are spiritual, they're more than comfortable accepting the idea of angels. In preparation for this sermon, I I watched one video on YouTube from a woman claiming to be a psychic medium and an angel channeler. That's what she called herself. And she defined angels as energy beings who are here to help us with our missions and with our everyday life. And during her psychic readings, she claims to be able to communicate with angels and other spirits to relay their advice and intentions. And in the video, several people were interviewed, several people who were going forward for this uh, psychic reading. And most claim to be either agnostic or non-religious, But as one man put it, he said, I definitely believe in angels. And as I watched her video, she began to do a supposed psychic reading and claimed that the archangel Michael himself was serving as a guardian angel over this this one person. But everything in that video, despite using biblical languages, uh, biblical terms and biblical language and even biblical names, everything in that video, I would say, is counter to biblical Christianity. It was occultish. It was, it was satanic. But it's not just non-Christians, non-believers who have twisted views of angels. Even Christians, I think, are a bit confused about angels. You've probably seen Raphael's classic paintings of angels depicted as little naked babies flying around. Some of you may remember the Uh, precious moments, figurines of angels, um, or we think of guys all in white with halos and harps. Um, Or most concerning to me is that many Christians seem to believe, just as many non-believers do, that when people die, they become angels, even guardian angels. And I didn't realize how many Christians believe that uh, until my brother died and I had Many people in the church say to me, well, now he is an angel watching over you from heaven. Uh, And I I just want to say, you know, that is patently false. Yes, I have someone in heaven watching over me. His name is Jesus Christ. And angels and people are two different created beings. People don't turn into angels after death. The scriptures actually give us a far better picture of what happens to the believer after death. The Bible teaches that our souls pass immediately into the presence of Jesus Christ. Our bodies return to dust until Christ returns and he resurrects our body in glory and we reign with Jesus in the new creation. That's what happens to Christians when we die. We don't become a different created being. We do not become angels. We remain humans forever, and we are glorified with Christ. We're co-heirs with Christ. That's far better than the idea that somehow we turn into angels when we die. The point of all of this is, whether we're talking about Christians or or non-believers, there's a tendency 
for all of us to elevate angels to a status that they simply do not occupy in Scripture. And this is, this is common. It's common in our day. It was common in the first century when the book of Hebrews was, was written. Remember briefly from last week, we said that the book of Hebrews, and, and really it's, it was most likely an early Christian sermon, the sermon of Hebrews was written and preached to Jewish converts to Christianity. Uh, these were Jewish Christians who were, because of various persecutions, um, from both the Romans and other Jews, uh, they were considering going back to Judaism. They were considering abandoning Christ, right, and going back to the temple worship. And the author of Hebrews is laying out the case as to why they cannot go back to Judaism. And he does that by showing them that Jesus is better. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament pointed towards, that everything in Judaism is now fulfilled in Christ. And so we saw last Sunday how Jesus is a better, a fuller revelation of God himself. And now this week the author is showing us that Jesus is better than the angels. There are two reasons why the author of Hebrews has to address the fact that Jesus is better than the angels. The first is because the Jews, like many people today, had too high of a view of angels. They were elevating angels to a level that angels simply did not belong. Now that's somewhat understandable. The Old Testament does give us a grand picture of angels as heavenly beings, fierce warriors, uh, they often served as agents of revelation, angels appearing and bringing messages from God to men. And in some way, we can understand their mistakes in elevating angels to this high status. But it's important to remember, the scriptures are also clear. Angels are merely messengers and servants of God. So to elevate them above God is nothing short of idolatry. That's the first reason why the author of Hebrews has to address this. The second reason Hebrews addresses the fact that Christ is better than the angels is because for these first century Jewish Christians, there was a unique temptation. The temptation was, well, if we can say that Jesus is not actually the God-man, but perhaps just an angel, maybe even the greatest of all angels, then we can profess to believe in Jesus without offending the Jews. In other words, reduce Christ to the status of angels, and Jesus will no longer be offensive to the culture around us. Jesus won't offend the Jews, and Jesus, if he is only an angel, will also not offend the Romans, because it would ultimately mean that these early Jewish Christians could say, Caesar and not Jesus is Lord. Jesus would be only an angel. Isn't that a temptation that you and I can relate to today? Reduce Jesus to whatever it is. Reduce Jesus to a good moral example. Maybe even the greatest man who ever lived. Reduce him to a great teacher. Maybe even the greatest teacher that ever lived but certainly not the eternal Son of God, God in the flesh. That's what many people do with Jesus Christ. And what does that do? It, it 
allows them to save face with the culture around us. But unfortunately, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. And only the Jesus of the Bible can save men and women and boys and girls. And so Hebrews wants to make it clear that Jesus is better, that he is far superior to the angels. And the author does this by showing us five things from the Old Testament that bear testimony to the fact that Jesus is better than the angels. The first is that Jesus is superior because he has a better name. This is found in verse 4 and verse 5 of our text this morning. Jesus Christ has the name or the title of the Son of God. And here the author of Hebrews is drawing from Psalm 2 and 2 Samuel 7. And he says, having become as much superior to angels as their name he has inher- as the name he has inherited is much is more excellent than theirs now we want to understand a few points about verses 4 and 5 because cults like the jehovah's witnesses and mormons love to look at these verses in hebrews as proof that jesus is nothing more than a created being When the author of Hebrews in verse 5 quotes Psalm 2 by saying, For which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? That does not mean that Jesus only became the son of God at his incarnation, at that point in history when Jesus took on human flesh. Jesus has always been the eternal son of God. J.I. Packer says that Jesus wasn't in a new relationship to the Father while he was on earth. Rather, his relationship to the Father is the continuation in time of the eternal relationship between the Son and the Father in heaven, as in heaven, so on earth. Paul would write in Romans 1, 3, and 4 that according to Christ's human nature, he was called the Son of David. But according to his divine nature, he is the son of God. Jesus, as the second person in the Trinity, has eternally been the son of God in relationship to and with the Father. And also we should note that when Psalm 2 and the author of Hebrews here today says, Today I have begotten you, that does not mean that Christ was created at some point. Again, he is the eternal son of God. He has no beginning. He has no end. The book of Acts draws from Psalm 2, and it helps us understand what that phrase, today I have begotten you, means. If you would turn in your Bibles to Acts 13 and look at verses 32 and 33. Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this. He says, and we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So what does Acts say the phrase today I have begotten you refers to? It refers to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This God fulfilled to us by raising Jesus. The idea here of begetting, of the Father begetting the Son, is not one of creating the Son, but rather it's one of declaring 
in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead that he, that he is the eternal Son of God. Again, Paul writes in Romans chapter 1 verse 4 that Christ was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. By given, by being given a more superior name, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we know that Jesus is indeed superior, greater, better than the angels. Well, secondly, we see that Jesus is better than the angels because Jesus is worshipped by the angels. Verse 6 of our text this morning, the author of Hebrews is drawing from Psalm 97 and Deuteronomy chapter 32. Now again, just so that you're equipped next time those Jehovah's Witnesses come knocking on your door and we were here two days, three days in Malden when they already came and knocking. Uh, I unfortunately was over here at the church office. My dad answered the door and my dad just said, go over and knock on the church's door. Um, they didn't. <laughs> uh, but Jehovah's Witnesses will look at this verse and see that the author of Hebrews calls Jesus the firstborn. And they'll try to use this again to say, see, Jesus is not the eternal God because he had a beginning. There was a day when he was begotten. There was a day when he was born. He is the firstborn of Jehovah. That's what he, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses will say about this text. But that is not what the phrase firstborn means. Again, who was the original audience of the book of Hebrews? They were Jewish Christians, right? And they no doubt understood and knew their Old Testaments very well. And so when the phrase firstborn was written by the author of Hebrews, uh, it would have brought up images in their mind, not of birth order, but rather uh, with status, with inheritance. Because who inherited the father's material wealth and so on in the family? It was the firstborn. And so this is a statement of Christ's status, not in any way, shape, or form saying that the eternal Son of God was created or born or had a beginning. The church historian F.F. F. Bruce wrote that Christ is called firstborn because he exists before all creation and because all creation is his heritage. So when Hebrews says, that when God brings the firstborn into the world, what is he saying? He's saying that in the incarnation, when the eternal son of God took onto himself a true body and a reasonable soul, when he was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit, then God's eternal son was brought into the world as the God-man, Jesus. And what happened at the birth of Jesus? What did the shepherds see in the skies? They saw the angels worshiping. They were crying out glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Or maybe we can think of the book of Revelation when John has a vision of the heavenly throne room and he sees angels and the saints in heaven. And what are they doing? They are worshiping the Lamb. 
The angels are worshiping Jesus Christ. Christ is better than the angels. And how do we know that? We know that because the angels worship him. Thirdly, Jesus is better than the angels because Jesus has a better status. Verses 7 through 9. Here the author of Hebrews, by citing Psalm 104 and Psalm 45, contrasts the angels to Jesus. And he says angels are merely ministers. They, uh, it seems, can occupy at times wind and fire to do the will of God. And I think probably we see that again in Revelation where where angels are often the agents of judgment. Uh, the angels are the ones who unleash uh, the winds of judgment. They blow the trumpets of judgment. They pour out the bowls of God's wrath on the earth. But they are all doing this at God's command. Jesus, however, occupies the status of an eternally sovereign ruler. While the angels, although at times they do manifest themselves in amazing ways, are still servants, Jesus is the one who is enthroned. Jesus is the one who rules with a scepter. Jesus is the one who has been anointed with the oils of heavenly joy as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is better than the angels because he occupies a better status than the angels. Fourthly, we see Jesus is greater than the angels because Jesus is, as we've stated before, eternal. Here, now the author draws from Psalm 102, and he's making it abundantly clear that Jesus is the eternal Son of God, that he is indeed God himself. Jesus is the one who laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning. The heavens are the works of his hands. They will perish, but Jesus will remain. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His years will have no end. Yes, God and his sovereignty has created, has granted everlasting life to the angels. They are immortal beings. They do not die like we do. But having everlasting life, being immortal, is different than being eternal. Do you see the difference? Angels had a beginning. They were created. But Jesus is eternal. He had no beginning. He has no end. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. There was never a time when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, did not exist. And there will never be a time when he does not exist exist. He is eternal. He is the eternal son of God. And he is superior, superior to the angels because he is the eternal son of God. Well, fifthly and finally, Jesus is better than the angels because he does a greater work than the angels. I'm looking now at verses 13 and 14 of our text this morning. The author now is coming to Psalm 110. And Psalm 110 is the most quoted Old Testament text in the New Testament. Jesus himself quoted it many, many, many times. And the author's main point here is that Jesus is sovereignly ruling over all creation 
while again, the angels are simply servants. The angels, the author of Hebrews says, are ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. They're ministering spirits to us, brothers and sisters. That's why they exist. But they are servants of Jesus Christ, who is enthroned now and for all eternity. They do the bidding of the risen, conquering Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has defeated every one of his and our enemies. That's what that phrase about making enemies his footstool means. It's drawing off the imagery of ancient generals who, when they would conquer their enemies, would symbolically put their boots or their feet on the necks of their enemies. Joshua has the commanders of Israel do this uh, in Joshua chapter 10, for example. Angels serve, but Jesus rules. It's not just about the servant master status, though. It's about the work that each one does. The one who reigns, the one who rules, the one who has supreme authority has done a greater work than the angels. Because at the cross, Jesus Christ did do something that no angel could ever do. He defeated his enemies and our enemies, primarily sin and death and the devil. No angel could have done that. No angel could make atonement for the sins of God's people. Only Christ could do that. And Christ, having made atonement for our sins and having conquered our enemies, now sits at the highest place of honor, the right hand of the majesty on high, until his conquered enemies are fully and completely done away with forever. And brothers and sisters, that day is coming. When Christ returns in glory, the book of Revelation says that then death and the grave will be thrown into the lake of fire along with the great serpent, which is the devil, and all those who follow him. Then Christ is our triumphant king, will wipe every tear from his people's eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, and the kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That is why Jesus is better than the angels. No angel, no created being, nothing can come close to the work and the glory and the splendor of the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I hope you see that to be true. I hope you believe it. You know, this is the problem with being spiritual, but not religious. The problem with being interested in spiritual things, uh, in being willing to believe in angels, but not God, is no one but God can give us the solution to the problems that we face. The problem that we have, ultimately, that we all have as humans, is sin, is estrangement from God himself. What we need most of all is the forgiveness of our sins 
and the gift of restored communion and fellowship with the holy triune God and angels cannot give you the forgiveness of your sins and a restored relationship to God. Only Jesus Christ can do that. Only Jesus Christ has accomplished the salvation that we need. Only Jesus Christ is worthy of our worship. Only Christ has conquered sin and death and the devil. And only by repentance and faith in him can we be delivered from our sins and given the gift of eternal life in the presence of the risen, conquering, and reigning eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ, the one who is superior to all things on heaven and on earth.